This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Bottom Line podcast here on the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. As the Reds evolve their transfer approach, securing Darwin services from Benfica, we explore the finances behind the deal worth a potential £85 million. We'll also examine how Julian Ward has uncovered one of world football's hottest young prospects and the dealings behind the scenes, which has secured him a six-year deal at Anfield, as well as the commercial success it could provide for the Reds. Here to do all of that, it's a pleasure to to welcome the Echo's business of football writer Dave Powell. Dave, I trust you well, and uh, well, this deal potentially a club record. Yeah, yeah, it's got all the um, all the hallmarks of, of being so. Um, the guaranteed sum less than uh, what they paid for Virgil Van Dijk and Alison Becker, but with all the add-ons included, it, it looks set to to kind of break new ground for, for FSG and Liverpool. Uh, Eighty-five million is all told when, when everything's considered. If the add-ons are met and and triggered, then um, then it's going to be the biggest investment that FSG have made into into the first team squad at Liverpool since they've been here. And that's the way of looking at it, I suppose, with this deal is so often it's oh FSG, it's sell to buy and this, that, and the other, which we will get into and talk about maybe how Liverpool are affording this deal. But equally, this is seen as an investment to secure, I suppose, the next rung of of Liverpool's forward line. It's vital as well, Guy, because um, there is a need now for Liverpool. And you can argue that it started last summer with the addition of Ibrahima Kanate. Um, there, there has to be a transition plan in place at Liverpool for what comes next, because obviously it's an aging squad. We've got, you know, you've got Milner, um, Salah's approaching thirty, Mane, Van Dijk, and, and there has to be a, a plan in place to change these parts of the machine. Um, before it becomes a costly exercise, because if you leave this go too long without investing into the first team squad, I mean, in, in reality, you probably think that the current squad could have achieved what they achieved this season, next season. But it's what comes after that. There has to be a, a way of managing the change that's going to occur over the next three or four years and the cost that comes with that. So if you were to not invest in young talent now and in talent which is going to take you through to the next phase, then you, you've left faced with a huge rebuilding job, uh, which costs enormous amounts of money. And the market is only going up as well. So Liverpool want to sign players that are undervalued. They've not yet really reached their potential and their market value will only increase. So um, going to market for world-class players to fill to fill void is, void is, is very difficult um, and very costly. So signing those players that are just beneath that services, your Diaz's, your, your, your Darwin Nunes's, that's a, that's exactly where FSG kind of sit in their transfer recruitment policy. And that's not earth-shattering, that's something which we've known since since they've arrived. But I think the uh, getting Jurgen Klopp's deal signed through to 2026 has emboldened them somewhat to be willing to invest in the first team this summer and I think next summer as well because it gives them more security over who is going to be managing the operations and who is the person that's going to be leading these these players that they spent so much money on. Uh, and I think it removes some of the risk that is attached to it if you're handing the, the keys to a rebuilding job to someone new. That can be a challenge. It's been proven in the past that it, you know, it could be a challenge. It's bigger for so many people, big names as well. So I think... It's a sensible move. I know the numbers, it, there's been so much written 
uh, past few days around Haaland and and, and and Nunes and how those two deals stack up and how much Liverpool are spending after all these years of people saying, oh, we don't spend any money. It's, I, it... I was going to say I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm fascinated on on that element to come around kind of the, the whole package of things. But kind of going back to, to me saying at the start there, this is an investment. Is If he's signing a, a six-year contract at Liverpool and it's what just over £60 million is the guaranteed sum, the way it works on the spreadsheets is that's ten million a year for the six years of that initial contract. It isn't as much as it's the guaranteed money. For example, if Mane leaves, that will be forty plus million. Should that fee be accepted, that should that be what Bayern come to? That is immediately put on the balance sheets. If you you can kind of explain that to the listeners from the financial perspective, how it sits and works on the club's balance sheets for, for FFP purposes. Yes, I mean, if you are thinking about how this, this it seems like a huge deal on the face of it, um, but in reality, the 64 million, I think, is guaranteed. So that's the, the cost which will be amortised across the um, the length of the deal. So as you say, that that, that 64 million fee becomes 10 million um, odd a year, um, which appears as a, as, a, as a cost on the balance sheet. Um, then you have your wage liabilities. So... Ensuring that wage liabilities are are kept under control has been something which is key for FSG. And now, I'd wager that Nunes, coming from the Portuguese league into the Premier League, is not going to be able to command the kind of money that, say, a renegotiation of uh, a Sadio Mane or a Mo Salah would have done. So, had Liverpool have engaged in an extension with Mane as well, I mean that if you if you look at the kind of reported wages that are, are being thrown around there for, for him going to Bayern of of 375,000 or so, then that is uh, a considerable chunk on top of what you would be on that kind of amortised cost. I think FSG are more comfortable with transfer fees than they are with wage liability. So I think they're quite happy to have, uh, you know, have that 10 million or so cost on a balance sheet for the next six years with Nunes. Uh, more importantly to them is having a player that fits within the wage structure. So, um, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, if Mane goes, that offsets uh, a large chunk of the the cost anyway um, that they would have had with Mane. And also, it's um, it, it's a way of it, it. It points back to what FSG have done in the past uh, in terms of the the club basically washes its own face. It's uh, what they pay for new players by. Selling players, you know, with other people's money, you know, money, money that's come back into the football club. So, the outlay is limited. The risk is pretty limited. I think um, you only have to look at the rising value of Nunes um, over the course of the past year or so. He's, I think, he's second behind um, Vinicius from, from Real Madrid in terms of how his value has grown. Um, I think it's grown to about twenty odd million in the past past twelve months or so, purely because he's. He's been one of the hottest prospects in, in European football. He's fits the profile with age, um, and that is uh, that's something which attracts suitors from across Europe. Um, the benefit for Liverpool has been in attracting in this summer is that a lot of because of a, a fairly slow market last year, um, while some clubs recovered from the pandemic, um, there has been gaps filled. So City have gone for Haaland um, and. The, the Mbappe situation was resolved with him staying at PSG, which kind of removes them their need to go out and buy another striker for, for considerable amounts of money. Um, Barcelona still have their own issues, so they've gone for kind of a, an option which ticks a box in Lewandowski in terms of the fans will appreciate a world-class player, but also someone who isn't going to cost the earth 
to to finance. Um, so then you're just left with the likes of United, really. I mean, Real Madrid have been in the market already um, for, for Germany and paid considerable money. So you wonder how much, how willing they'd be in, to get into a bidding war. But it leaves United, who have got Europa League football to um, to kind of present to, to players next season. So it's been, it, it's something which Liverpool were, were always in poor position for, I think. Um, but I don't think the risk is as big as it would seem on the on the, the face of it when you look at those um, potential add-ons raising it to 85 million because I think some of them are quite are, are achievable um, yeah. play, uh, uh, appearance related. So you've got, I think it's after 60 appearances, it's something like 8 million. Um, but that's not going to happen until next year um, and another financial year. So the costs get spread. So the, the risk is it's, it's kind of negligible really. And and I suppose by that point, the hope is he's he's proven himself after sixty games to be at the level that warrants more of a transfer fee that that Liverpool are happy to go up to. But I and I, I genuinely am fascinated on the wage structure. And you mentioned there how FSG want the wage bill to be at a certain level. There is a structure there of just how they continue to operate in, as you say there. Holland and Mbappe were the two star players who everyone was sniffing around. The top clubs were sniffing around looking to bring in this summer. Liverpool believed to have had interest in both players, but realised financially on in terms of the wage liability, it wasn't viable for them to get involved in. And yet they go and unearth a talent like Darwin Nunes, who's shown what he can do in the Champions League this season. And if it's to be believed, his, his wage outlay will probably be half, if not more than half, of what, or sorry, less than half of what Erling Haaland's weekly wage is going to be at Manchester City. And yet they keep that competitive element whilst always constantly working on this wage bill. Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah both want new contracts. They know they simply can't finance new deals for both of them because a bit like the Genie Wijnaldum situation of last year, effectively the player will go to the club and say, you need to backdate me my pay for what I've I've been worth to the club in the past. But FSG don't work like that. They've tied Nunes down to a six-year deal, which I'm sure by the end of the six years, he probably will have signed an extension within that time. But if he does see it through to six years, you'll say what value again they've been able to negotiate. Absolutely. And, and you look at the wage bill, um, the a renegotiation for both Salah and Mane, uh, the kind of the, the sums mooted just was never going to be possible. I imagine the Nunes deal is heavily um, pointed towards him reaching a lot of markers. So um, whether it's team success, individual success, I imagine that there are certain markers he hits to give him. I mean, it's we, we talk about it being an FSG thing um, about how they've managed that they always like bonus structures within contracts because it rewards success which ultimately that success is lucrative so you are paying for um, increases in you know in contracts or, or bonus payments by money which is coming to the football club through success so that makes a lot of sense um Ferran Soriano did it um with Barcelona when he was there um so it I imagine Nunes is, is, is quite kind of a dynamic contract whereby he, you know, he has to hit these certain certain markers and triggers. So, but for for Liverpool, it keeps them under that threshold. So when they, you look at the balance sheet every single year, it's it, it's predictable. And and team owners like um, cost certainty, and that's uh, that's what they get with Liverpool. So if there are any circumstances such as the team succeeds by winning the Champions League or the Premier League. Yes, there are bonus payments which you need to be paid and they're considerable, but the money that is recouped from 
what they what they did to achieve that um, more than covers that. So it's it, it's their way of doing things. So the the issue with we are, we have had this I think we've had this conversation before about Salah where it's a there's a, a notion of kind of pay these people what they want. Um, there isn't an issue whether FSG can afford that because they're a, a profitable football club. Um, they are one of the biggest football clubs in the world. They are they are a financial powerhouse. It, the issue arises when uh, if you change the the model for one considerably, then there is reason to expect that the rest will follow. So when you go into contract negotiations with someone new, whether it's an existing player or whether it's a new player, um, they know that the club are willing to break uh, or bend at least um, to demands. And, and that then means that the case of a few million, which you may point out to, to Salah saying, well, it's not going to mean too much if we just do it for Salah. Before you know it, you've, you're doing it for the bulk of a squad to keep them together. And the whole dynamic changes again. Um, and that's why we move into the territory of, of unsustainable football again, you know, so it's, um, it, it, they do it for a reason. It's been successful and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon under, under Fenway sports because it's, it's their way of working. But I think while they keep on managing to, to kind of find, uh, find players like, like Diaz and, and, and hopefully Nunes will turn in to that kind of player because if they, you know, if, if he succeeds after year one and year two, they'll, they'll be offering him fresh terms, um, which will then reduce the amount of the amortised payment that, that gets paid, uh, that, that appears in the the, the uh, balance sheet every year anyway. So they'll make a save in that way. So it's it all makes sense. It all fits in perfectly into the whole FSG ethos of, of how they're doing things. Um, but I think their willingness to, to invest this summer does come back to them having more security over um their place in the in in the footballing world again in terms of Champions League qualification also having you in clock long term all that makes perfect sense and it's never a better time for FSG to invest I don't think the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo On what you said before, Dave, I, I think it's going to be so interesting, that wage structure. Over the next year in particular, we know a certain number 11's contract is ticking down to see what does happen there. And you just planted a, a seed in my mind of sort of saying that not so much of an issue of, of paying transfer fees as to whether there's a way around the, the seller negotiation of you, you pay him a big signing on fee to say stay at, at Liverpool and see if that's a way around it. But that'll be for another time, I'm sure. But let's move on with Darwin Nunes. And one of the the things I'm really intrigued as well with the deal is of, of looking at Luis Diaz having arrived recently as well from South America and Julian Ward really using his, his contacts book to, first of all, scout these players with South American backgrounds, given his time at Manchester City, heading up their South American scouting department and then utilising his Portuguese contacts and Liverpool really dipping into this Portuguese market. But is when you look at kind of the first incarnation of Jurgen Klopp's side and the star signings being Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane, two African players, which really boosted Liverpool's profile and presence in the African market, whether or not, and I'm not saying Liverpool buy these players for the commercial reasons, but buying Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunes, two South American players who are both very much on the up, what that will do for Liverpool in the South American market? Um, it, it's an interesting question. I mean, the, the African... Um, players there in, in Mane and uh, and Salah obviously make a difference. Salah particularly because um, because he's a Muslim and, and prominent Muslim athletes um, 
aren't aren't particularly plentiful within within the West, I suppose. So, um, so he has become a real kind of beacon for um, for kind of Muslim sports fans, and, and that is uh, has huge commercial value because his appeal isn't just it, it transcends the sport and people who may be supporters of Liverpool. It's something which um, has has a real global reach. So recently, I was in. Uh, I was in New York and, and I kind of took a little walk down just from a couple of streets from Times Times Square. There's a huge Mohammed Salah mural um, that dominates the the side of an apartment block, and it can be seen, you know, for um, for miles around. It's um, and it's him in his Egypt kit. It's not reference to Liverpool or their position in the market in the US. It's him uh, in his Egypt kit with various um, kind of images of him playing for Egypt. So it's very much about him as a, a an icon, um, kind of an African icon, a, an icon for, for Muslim sports fans. So that has has had huge commercial values for Liverpool. Um, Mane, uh, again, a huge popular figure in in Africa from Senegal. Um, the market's slightly different than South America. There's a hugely passionate fan base. But while in Africa, a lot of the focus is on... Um, individual athletes rather than their own domestic leagues um, because the, the Premier League is the big league in Africa where, where fans follow. Um, in South America, there's, you know, they, they have their own strong league. So the idea being that Liga MX is the most watched football league in the US. Um, the Brazilian league is enormously popular um, domestically. So they, I don't think they they look towards kind of European football for their individual heroes as much as maybe um, Africa does, um, but certainly it won't hurt them because they're both at the right age profile. Certainly, New, uh, Darwin Nunes. So you know, you wonder how you know we just we just don't know how he how he's going to perform. He could be a superstar, but yeah, on it as well though. And I mean, maybe it's too deeply ingrained in South American viewing psyche that. As we saw when Luis Suarez was at Liverpool, as soon as Barcelona comes sniffing, those South American players so often dream of playing for Barcelona and Real Madrid. I just wonder, with Liverpool having been in, what, three Champions League finals in five years, if they continue to hit those levels and Barcelona's decline maybe continues for a little while longer, if Diaz and Nunes are the, the spearhead of this next mould of Liverpool, if actually they start coming into the conversation. We saw them in the, uh, the the FIFA Club World Cup, how passionately that was taken by Flamengo in Brazil. I'm sure even that game would have boosted Liverpool's profile in South America. And, and whether or not, as I say, with these Uruguayan and Colombian forwards leading the line, whether actually eventually Liverpool can start to break down that and become one of the heralded clubs of, of South American youngsters. That's that seems like the kind of the last bastion that that Liverpool have to really overcome is that no matter how much success they seem to have had in recent years under under Klopp etc. There is always that it remains um, Barcelona and, and Real Madrid other uh, clubs where people would um, would be willing to move on. So it, it's about being at the very top of that tree as you suggest. There, Barcelona's decline is is real. I mean, for all the bluster that they may come out with. Um, the, the, the Spotify deal, etc. They're a club mired in financial crisis at the minute, and something they're going to have to manage for a, a considerable period of time. And their um, their ability to to go toe to toe with with the biggest clubs just isn't there. I mean, will it come again? I, I imagine it will because they are a powerhouse. But Real Madrid have, 
have managed to reassert themselves at the the top of the tree again as they did this season. Um, but having, um, I suppose, this is a, the best time possible for for Liverpool to to make hay while the sun shines, I suppose, and and take advantage of the fact that there has been a um, a pausing in the the kind of juggernaut that is Spanish football uh, over the past couple of years. Although Real Madrid obviously succeeded this season, um, and having two of South American football's most prominent young stars won't hurt them a bit in in terms of how they're viewed in, in, in South America, whether it's Uruguay, whether it's uh, Colombia and beyond. Um, Liverpool always have already have a foothold in there, obviously, as you mentioned, with Suarez. Um, and I think that as the, the game is growing and there are different ways to engage fan bases far more than the word five years ago, 10 years ago. So the the more you can grow your global fan base, and if that's done through uh, through having superstars that play um, in South, you know, are South American playing for you, that means that you are potentially reaching new consumers. Uh, same for the, the Nike deal, there's, there's potential uplifts there where um, the more interest there is in the football club, um, the more likely people would be to buy uh, Nunes shirts or Luis Diaz shirts, and, and and all that comes funnels back in, in some way, shape, or form to to Liverpool's coffers. So um, there are benefits in having superstars in these markets, but I I don't think that the I think that the Mohamed Salah one was quite unique uh, in in how valuable it was. I mean, you only have to look at the the most valuable uh, athletes in the mo- the Forbes list for 2022 was published last month. Um, Salah was the only Liverpool player on there and one of the very few football players. Um, but his off-field earnings were considerably higher than, than many others um, because he's able to leverage his position as a, as a prominent mu- Muslim athlete so well. Um, I imagine the, certainly Nunes and, and Diaz will, will, will see a lift in the South American market for Liverpool, but whether it will be as considerable as what, what Salah's done, I, I doubt it. Yeah, the final question I was going to ask, and you, you started mentioning it there, was was shirt sales. To, to me as a kid, it was always one of the, the the things that was trotted out when a big signing came in. Oh, well, off the pitch, it will really help the club because of the amount of shirt sales of, of players. Now, I get Mane and Salah have been there for a long, long time. And for me, I'd say, oh, well, does the allure of them wear off of the shirt sales? But going and paying... 65 million or so guaranteed and potentially a club record signing. I'm sure as soon as those shirts are available in the club shop, they're going to be flying like hotcakes, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, I think San Diaz in January and the impact he's had means that um, it will the the Diaz uh, name in the club shop and number will be one of the biggest uh, sellers from this summer as soon as the new shirt's released. Um, and Nunes as well. I mean, big signings are always something which fans latch onto, and especially when it's your club record signing and you, you're going into a new season, having been Champions League finalists, um, won two domestic cups, and gone 15 minutes away from winning the Premier League. Um, the there is a spring, there will be a spring in this step, despite the, the disappointment of the, the final week, maybe. Um, so yeah, I expect those two to feature heavily. Um, whether or not, I don't, I'm not too sure we'll be seeing Mane shirt sales, but I imagine the uh, the Diaz ones and, and the the Nunes ones will more than outstrip what happens um, in that respect. But it, it's it, shirt sales. I mean, a lot is made out of it. So I remember when uh, Messi signed for for PSG, a lot was made. Oh, they'll pay for the deal in shirt sales alone. 
um, it won't. The, the, there isn't the, the scope to do that type of thing. But um, the more you can sell, uh, the more money comes into the club. And, the, and, and certainly for Liverpool's um, set up with their deal with Nike, with the fact they get 20% kickback of royalties from the sale of Nike merchandise, it can only serve to help. I mean, then you have your, you know, you can branch out into other branded um, Nike merchandise featuring Diaz and Nunes to present into different markets. But um, there are a million and one ways to, to leverage these kind of relationships to, to bring money in. And I'm sure Liverpool are going to be exploring every single one of them. Yeah, no, most definitely. Like here on Blood Red, we'll be exploring every single avenue of covering the deal to bring Darwin Nunes to Liverpool. Do remember, if you want to get in touch with us at Blood Red, we have recently launched an email address, bloodred at reachplc.com for any feedback or correspondence you want to send in to us. Do get us on that email address, bloodred at reachplc.com. All that's left to do is say thanks to Dave for joining us for, for the latest edition of the Bottom Line podcast. And Dave, I'm sure the off-season, the hard work's only just beginning for you from the uh, business of football perspective. Yeah, no, the football's finished now, so it's uh, it's my time to shine now. When there's no football, it's when, uh, when the numbers come into play. So yeah, this is, uh, my season's just started. No, brilliant stuff. And there will be plenty more from Dave, of course, across the Blood Red channel, as well as the Liverpool Echo website. But from myself, Guy Clark and Dave Powell, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.